Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Apologies for being a week late on this episode. Last weekend was pretty rough for me, and I never found time during the week to get this out. So today, we have a double upload of sermons. Today's sermon will invite us to ponder who are the people we want to not associate with. Do we invite them to our table also? Jesus definitely invites those that the other Jews thought he shouldn't be associating with at all. So we have to ask, what does that mean for us? And Pastor Ben will dive into that question for us today. And just as a reminder, you can always check out our church, Cathedral of the Rockies, on our website and on our social media platforms. There you can see what is going on in the life of our church and even connect with us online. Links are in the show notes where you can check us out. And with that, enjoy today's sermon. seats as we look at the scriptures this morning. Like I said, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple. And I'll remind you of that question I asked at the beginning of service. Who would be the equivalent of tax collectors in your life? And if you have no one who would fit that category, come talk to me after service because you're a saint. All right. I'm sure we all have at least one person, if not maybe a group of people that come to mind when we think, you know what, I, I would feel uncomfortable having a meal with them. Or I would question someone's maybe um, beliefs if they were eating with that kind of people. It's really important. It's really easy to say, oh my gosh, they don't include other people. But we're gathering here today to see how we kind of reflect that in our own lives. So let's look at this uh, passage, Matthew chapter 9, um, as Matthew is being called to be a disciple. And the words will be on the screen with me. If you have your Bibles and like to read along, I uh, invite you to do that as well. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew is literally working, right? Where Jesus calls him. <laughs> Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Midwork day. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, <clears throat> many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let me read that again. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the important reminders of this passage is Pharisees get a really bad rap, right? I mean, those of us who've been in the church for a long time, Pharisees can be 
the quote-unquote bad guys. But let me give you a little bit of a perspective that's helped me to see myself in the Pharisees. Because if you, if you have been around the church for a long time, you realize Jesus wasn't killed by unbelievers, right? <laughs> Jesus was killed by people who claim to follow God. And so we are the ones that we need to understand that are being spoken to when the Pharisees come up. One of my favorite parables is the, the uh, sinner and the tax collector, right? Where the Pharisees like, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not like that sinner over there. And they're in the temple, right? And then we Christians, good, faithful Christians come away from that parable and saying, Lord, thank you I'm not like that Pharisee and learn nothing about the parable, right? We do exactly what the parable is teaching us not to do. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy over there, Right? So the Pharisees are this group of, uh, this sect of Judaism that comes out of the exile of Babylon, and they, the first thing they see is the destroyed temple. The very heart, the place and presence of God in their religious political life was destroyed, and they wept. And so what did they want to do? They said, you know what? We will never be sent back into exile again. We will never violate another law of God as long as every generation is on this planet. We will never violate another known law of God. So what did the Pharisees become? Really strict about the laws of God. Because why? They didn't want to go into exile again. They didn't want their children or their grandparents to die in exile in a foreign land. So just right there, you can kind of get where the Pharisees are coming from, right? We all have deep convictions on like, you know, one of the, one of the ones I grew up with is like, I would see eyebrows shoot through the ceiling if I wore jeans to church right? And if those jeans had a hole in it, that was it. It was not holy. See what I did there? It was not, it was not good to wear jeans at church, right? And then, man, the drum kit, our, our African congregation after us, they're going to have the party after we leave, and they have their drum set here. I wondered how many people would come in and be like, what is happening to Methodism with the drum kit right there? But my church growing up, too, if the drums entered in, I'm like, that was a whole other conversation, right? But we all have deep convictions about things, even like music, let alone, you know, non-controversial issues like politics or theology, Right? And so when we come in, we're instantly seeing, where does this person line up with my convictions or not? And then Jesus comes along and says, I desire mercy. Because so often we're willing to sacrifice, not just like they were talking about animal sacrifices or even sacrificing people for these convictions. We will sacrifice relationship based on our deep-held convictions, right? And so then you have Matthew, this tax collector, who is Jewish, working with Rome, who is not the good guys. <laughs> Rome is this occupying force over Israel, their people. So how is Matthew seen? Right? 
He's seen as the traitor. He's seen like many of us may see people who participated with the storming of the Capitol. So Pharisees come along and they're floored. We can kind of say, like, wow, I've, I've been a Pharisee. <laughs> they're floored. They come along and they say, why does Jesus sit with this collaborator, this enemy? I, I was asked to speak at a great conference. The conference was wonderful. The last speaker was okay. Um, but the conference itself was great. Uh, it was called Oneness in, in Christ, and we gathered together with um, St. Paul's Baptist Church, and we got to talk about, the. Um, it was um, a, just a diverse group of races and uh, theological traditions in a, in a room, and we talked about uh, racial reconciliation and what that looks like, specifically in Idaho, um, for Idaho's black population, um, and, and what I was asked to speak on how political extremism leads to division. It's not really relevant today, you know, but they asked me to come along and, and, and talk about political extremism and how that impacts that. Well, as I, I was literally preparing for this conference on political extremism and how that fractures our oneness in Christ as the church, and I will go to, to Whole Foods uh, to get away and write for, for two reasons. One, free parking. Two, free Wi-Fi. Well, I guess three reasons. They have outlets for all my devices, so I can just plug everything in and charge while I'm writing, put in my headphones, and just zone out and write. Well, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, it's about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm getting ready to write, and to write on this topic. And these two older gentlemen come and sit down behind me. I'd say they were maybe mid to late, um, I'd say late 60s, early 70s. And whenever Jesus is brought up in a conversation, I mean, like, I mean, that's kind of my job, right? And so my radar goes off, and I'm sitting there, and they're talking, they're not talking quietly, right? So I'm, I don't feel like I'm eavesdropping. They're just sitting there talking very loudly behind me. And I, I couldn't, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Because this is how the conversation went. Like, um, you know, they really are out to kill Christians. Those liberals are. Those liberals are out to, to kill us Christians. And, you know, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. So if a liberal comes along and insults you and calls you a racist, just blow it off. But if they come at us, we have every right in the world to take them out. Then they went on to talk about their stockpile of guns at home and their food rations for when everything goes down next year. And I was like, I could feel the anxiety growing in my body. This is Whole Foods Market. <laughs> Do they know they have a pastor sitting right next to them Typing on political extremism, like I couldn't, couldn't write this script, right? And they said, you and your wife will have to come to our compound, not house, but compound, when everything goes down, because they can't make it to us unless they have snowmobiles. And if they do make it to us, they'll be sorry they did when everything goes down. They kept saying when everything goes down, which made me even more nervous. Like, what is everything? And when is it going to go down? 
And then the conversation just kept spiraling. They said, you know, they were talking about their preferred political candidate and how to, um, how to donate money to this campaign without using electronic donations because electronic donations is the mark of the beast that Satan is using to impose on our culture. So we can't use electronic donations. And I'm just like, every single turn, it felt like, who's your pastor? Please tell me who they are. I want to know. But it, I had so many range of emotions like, God, do I say something? I'm scared. I don't want to say anything. I just, I want them to let them have their conversation. And so, and that's, after 20 minutes of this went on, I just finally put in my noise-canceling headphones and tried to focus. And whether they knew it or not, they became part of my presentation on political extremism. Like, you think this is some rare thing that happens in the backwoods of northern Idaho. I was in Whole Foods Market. And overheard this. And what's scary, as a born and raised Idaho boy, (laughs) that's not new to me. That kind of rhetoric is something I've heard my entire life living here. And as I was going through all of my feelings about listening to these two men talk to each other, it, it resulted in two things in my heart. One, I'm like, they really do think that everyone is out to get them. They really do believe that, and they fear that. And second, it made me feel hopeless. Like, even if I did, in all the kindness and mercy in the world, if I sat down with them, I don't think any minds would be changed. Right? But what if I sat down and just asked more questions? I don't know the approach. Am I the only one alone in that kind of hopelessness right now about minds not being changed? (laughs) Friends, I I heard a random podcast. uh, uh, It's called You're Wrong About. And their most recent podcast was called um, Changing Your Mind. And all it was, was they had random, ordinary people call in and talk about a time when they had their minds changed for 45 minutes. And I, I sat in my office over there and I wept because it felt so rare to hear about people talking about their minds changing rather than becoming more solidified and extreme, right? Especially in our world today. And then as they left, I realized, you know what? I, if I'm honest with myself, because I had this passage in the back of my mind too. As a pastor, you're constantly being convicted by the Bible and convicted by what you're writing and about, you have to preach this on Sunday, so have your stuff together, right? And so you have to go through all this eternal work before you come and hopefully bring something good for all of you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if I'm being honest, I see them as the tax collectors, I see them as as the enemy. If if I heard someone sitting there and just like hearing that conversation going on, someone I admire and just like letting that conversation roll, would my thought process be changed about that person? And I, I just thought, how am I loving them well? Am I reducing them to that one 20-minute conversation? 
Or am I getting over my fear and my thoughts about them to show mercy? How does mercy look to the tax collectors in our life? There are many stories in our Gospels that feature Jesus at the table with others, friends and enemies, the curious, the critical, and the devoted. I think sometimes we assume that when Jesus sat down at the table, everybody thought alike, acted alike, and everybody was getting along. But the Gospels don't tell us all the arguments that broke out, right? But here we have this glimpse that the Pharisees were there in not agreeing at all with what Jesus was doing. But I think we assume, too, that all the tax collectors and the, the whole group that's called sinners that are sitting around, they were all getting along and everybody was fine. No one was complaining about anything, right? It's messy. And I think we don't think that the gospel is messy at times. But it's such a messy story These are the pictures of the living kingdom of God being embodied by Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, there is this wonderful story that says in chapter 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, midday of work, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and left his job to follow Jesus. The dictionary defines an enemy as a person who is actively opposed or hostile to you. Who is actively opposed or hostile to you? And have you found particular ways to love and to show mercy? Now, every time I preach this, I want to remind you, healthy boundaries are important. (laughs) Those who are hostile and, and oppose you Healthy boundaries is a form of love, right? This isn't a call for you to let them trample you or treat you like a a doormat. But it is an invitation to say, maybe we're thinking of people like tax collectors in dehumanizing ways. Maybe just like they teach people in their group to fear and to demonize people as such bad enemies that they believe they're coming to take them out. How are we doing that in our own way towards those we think are enemies? Are we reducing their entire identity to a threat? So much so that it prevents us from seeing them as a neighbor worthy of mercy. Because of these kinds of people are in our communities and in our Christian circles and in our families. I don't want to live in fear of them, but I also don't want myself or those I love to be a target of their hostility either. So another question can be, how can love help to settle both my fear, but also possibly make peace happen? I don't claim to know the answers about this difficult topic. I'm struggling with this just as much as you are. But I have had experiences of seeing minds like these two men I overheard change. But it took time. It took compassion. And it took love. I experienced this firsthand as someone just like that for the majority of my life. I've, I know many of you know this, but like I, 
I was so fearful about things that I, I carried a Glock 45 for the longest time. Had my concealed weapons permit. You know, when you're born in Idaho, you just get a gun when you're born. So <laughs> I, that's what I had growing up. You know, and I learned to shoot at a young age. I, I learned how to reload my own bullets at like, I mean, what eight-year-old is in the garage reloading shotgun shells. I knew how to do that, right? Can my own food? Because we really did. Like the theological systems that a lot of us were raised with really believed that the rapture was going to happen or something was going to happen. The government was going to collapse and we had to persevere and protect, right? And so I was fearful and I was taught to fear a whole group of people, immigrants. <laughs> I, was, I was taught to fear LGBTQ people, and the worst were Democrats, like, man, just Democrats, you know, that's what, that's what they were called. Um, and then, like, I grew up and went to college, and I started reading about church history, and I started expanding my mind, and then I traveled to other countries, and that really did it to me. You know, I encountered a lot of people that I was taught to fear, that I was told was after me, that their whole life was built around feminists. Whew. How dare you advocate for women, Methodists? This was, was when I wasn't a Methodist, right? I, I encountered so many people that made me think in deeper ways in relationship, right? And you know what was the biggest breaking point for me? Not only were they not against me, they didn't call me stupid, for my beliefs. They didn't call me ignorant. In fact, they asked me deep questions respectfully and they helped me to grow and expand my mind as I encountered these different realities, these different people. And as I started to have those, those minds expanded, I'm just like, you know what? LGBTQ people aren't the enemy that I was told they were. Immigrants are some of the strongest people I've ever met. <laughs> Even Democrats are great people. <laughs> Even those Democrats. I grew up thinking, and this is so funny, just a little story of my life, I thought Cathedral of the Rockies was full of heretics. Look where I am now. <laughs> God has such a profound way of not only expanding your horizon of grace, but as that expands, your fear starts to dissipate as well. One can't happen without the other happening, right? You can't fear up close. <laughs> when you know someone in relationship, man, you can't help but want to show mercy. And I think because I was a person that if I had stayed in the track that I was, I would have been one of those men behind me talking. And I think that gives me a, a little bit of, of a gut check. Because like where I am now, I'm just like, oh, tax collectors. But I could totally see how I could have arrived there easily, so easily. And what did it take for me to not end up there? It wasn't judgment, criticism, and hate. <laughs> it was compassion, kindness, and mercy. 
It was being asked by professors and parents and, and pastors around the table with people that I had assumptions about and had those assumptions just dissipated. What do we think Jesus was trying to do by gathering people around the table that thought differently? Here's bread and a cup. You know what you can't hold when you're holding bread and a cup? A sword. You know what you can't do when you're sitting down at a table? <laughs> Yell and stand and scream in someone's face. When Jesus is leading things like, that's why I think that conference was so sacred, when we were all sitting in a space and we had a lot of just, just crazy things said, <laughs> but in a space where we weren't going to reduce the person to what they were saying because we were all in agreement that we were going to come work these things out together, right? When we don't give ourselves opportunity to question the assumptions we have about someone, we can dehumanize the enemies in the exact same way they're dehumanizing us. And that, I think, is at the core of loving our enemies, is that we Christians, we who follow Jesus, we start with the idea, I have to find out what's similar about them. Because as soon as I just start defining them about what's differences, I start to see differences as bad. And diversity is not a bad thing, amen? God elevates and is shown beautifully through our diversity. So as soon as we start thinking differences are bad, <laughs> that's when we start becoming an enemy to someone else. Loving your enemy means you are not going to be an enemy to them. Loving your enemy means I'm going to overcome my discomfort with showing mercy and hospitality to these people and allow that work to be the work of transformation in these difficult conversations. I want to share one last story with you as, as we conclude today. Um, Bishop Curry, the name may be familiar to some of you. Um, he is the uh, bishop of the Episcopal Church. He's ne the now presiding uh, bishop, Re Reverend Michael Curry. And he tells this now famous story uh, of a young woman who became Episcopalian in 1940. A lot was going on in America at that time, right? Just like now. But in the 1940s, she became an Episcopalian. And one Sunday, she invited her boyfriend, the man that she had been dating for a long while, to join her at morning service. And both this man and this woman were African-American. But the church they attended that day was an all-white congregation. And right in the heart of segregated America, the young man waited in the pews while the congregation went forward to receive communion, anxious because he noticed that everyone in the congregation was drinking from the same chalice. This was before COVID. <laughs> he had never seen black people and white people drink from the same water fountain, much less the same communion cup. His eyes stayed on his girlfriend as, after receiving the bread, she waited for the cup, and finally the priest lowered it to her lips and said, as he said to everyone else, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve you and your body and your soul unto everlasting life. 
The man decided that any church where black and white could drink from the same cup had discovered something powerful, something he wanted to be a part of. And that couple was Bishop Curry's parents. (laughs) The table can overcome even the deepest of estrangements of human beings. That's why there is something so powerful to gather around the table where Jesus invites those who have differences to let them not be barriers, but to work them together in mercy, hospitality, and love. Jesus echoes the prophet Micah to say, I am not looking for sacrifice. I am looking for mercy. So loving our enemies, friends, begins with questioning, who am I willing to sacrifice for my convictions? And turning that around and saying, who am I willing to show mercy towards? Jesus sees Matthew, and maybe Matthew was feeling so outcast because of who he was in his job that he didn't have any more relationships. Like someone else in the Bible, a wee little man named that salvation came to his house not only because he repaid four times the people he defrauded, but because he was ushered back into community. Jesus wants tax collectors to be brought back into community too. Hospitality transforms all who are invited, and we are changed in the breaking of the bread. We have a long way to go in our church, in our state, and in our nation before we have tables where all are truly welcome. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. Here at the Amity campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area, and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online, and serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.